Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. Monday, talking a lot of Raiders in hour number one. We'll hit some more NFL when Matt Holt joins us at the bottom of this hour. And we'll preview tonight's Monday night football game, Rams and Cardinals coming your way. Boxing, we're talking about this segment. And we saw a couple uh, great fights uh, over the weekend. Uh, Specifically, we talked about a lot. Vasily Lomachenko being back. And he was dominating Richard Comey, Saturday night, where else at Madison Square Garden? Keeping those hands up, there's the lead left again. And he goes to the body. Look at that from Lomachenko. Back in range and hit you with shots like that. Seemed to be the case with Comey right now, but Andre Rogier gave him the right instruction. Back him up, keep digging to the body. Number one pound for pound best in the world. Lomachenko gives it a look at the legs of Comey. He can barely stand up. Lomachenko's telling the corner of Comey, you should stop this. Whenever Richard Comey falls asleep, you see Loma just come back. Six, seven, eight, eight shots unanswered. Unanswered is the operative word. You get hit with those kind of shots, you got to answer. And when Loma gets off like that and Comey has no answer, it, again, it's just it's discouraging, it's demoralizing, and you know what the judges are looking at. There it is. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko, dominating performance, unanimous decision, one, uh, 119-108 on two of the judges' scorecards, 117-110. Uh, he outlanded Comey 248-73. to And our guy who was on the broadcast, you heard him there, uh, part of those clips along with Andre Ward and Joe Tessitore, my man, Timothy Bradley, the five-time champ. What's going on, brother? What's going on, big dog? How you doing, man? I'm good. <laughs> you, you know, my biggest question for you, Tim, is, is this. Now, we know West Coast guy, you're kicking back, you're residing there in, in, in San Diego. I know you don't like to fly. Uh, did, did you did you fly, man? Did you suck it up and fly to New York City to go to the Garden? Or or did you take a three-day drive? That's what I got to know. come on, three-day drive. Oh, absolutely not. I, I, I get on the big bird, man. I fly just like everybody else. <laughs> you just like driving to Vegas, right? You like just driving from Southern Cal to, to, to Vegas. You just like being in that car for a few hours, though, don't you? And, you know, I got to do what I got to do. You already know that. But I do like that drive going through the back way up to Vegas. Yeah. You know, Amboy way, so. No doubt, man. No doubt. All right, uh, Vasily Lomachenko. You know, we saw him, you know, here uh, when he took care of Nakatani here in Vegas. Yeah. And uh, we, we said that night, like, wow, I mean, he's back. There's no question about it. And then uh, we saw what he did uh, against Richard Comey Saturday night at, at Madison Square Garden. Um, we saw the knockdown in the seventh round. And then we saw uh, Lomachenko basically talking to Comey's corner uh, and telling him yeah. to stop the fight. <laughs> now, was that Lomo just showboating a little bit? Or do you think, Tim, he was actually fearful of, of damaging his opponent? 
you know, I, I go back and forth with this. When I was actually watching it at the time, I was, I was, it was interesting because, you know, I said I never saw that before. I never saw it from Lomachenko actually stepping back and actually trying to get the corner to step in and stop it. He didn't want to. He didn't want to hurt the man. It was. It was weird. It was. I don't know. It was something different that I haven't seen before. Uh, typically, you have guys that get in there and they'll they'll tell the ref like, "Hey, save this guy, save this guy," but never look at the corner and say, "Hey, you got an opportunity to stop it, or I'm going to stop it myself." And then you know they didn't stop it, so you know he went to work or whatnot. He didn't get the stoppage, but you know that just shows you you know he showed compassion, man. Uh, you know compassion that night. Um, that's just respect. I think the lead up told you everything you need to know about both these men that got in the ring. I think that Comey showed so much respect for him and he showed so much respect to to Loma and you know both got both these guys are God fearing men. And so, you know, just Lomachenko showing compassion for the opponent, showing love to the opponent and trying to get the, the corner to step in and stop it before he did something some serious damage to him. Um I just thought it was it you know the humility that he showed and, and just you know the love that he showed for Comey, it probably cost him. Probably actually cost him. Uh, you know, not not being able to get the knockout win, but still fantastic show, great performance. Um, I think we saw vintage Lomachenko. He's one of the baddest dudes on the planet, man. And I, and I keep saying this, and I will continue to say this: this guy, what we're witnessing, is a, is a living legend still in the sport of boxing no doubt about that tim did you ever face anything like that in in your career where you were you were you were pummeling a guy and you said you know hey i really don't want to keep uh, you know you know delivering uh you know no blows like that <laughs> no <laughs> no 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 i thought you was gonna say i thought honestly before you were gonna ask the question okay. have i ever fought anybody like similar to lomachenko and i would say yeah manny pacquiao and oh, in yeah, a different yeah. way yeah, yeah with the angles and the stuff like that but no, I've never been in the ring with somebody that I've been training for for three months and have that type of compassion for a person. Um, I remember Pacquiao, you know, uh, when he switched and, you know, he became, you know, a guy for your man, you know, he stopped getting those big knockouts. He started showing a little bit more compassion for the opponents inside the ring. Um, and, you know, we didn't see the spectacular knockouts. Well, I mean, Loma being who Loma is, man, and, and actually seeing that and witnessing that, I mean, it, it reminded me almost of Pacquiao, you know, saying, hey, I don't really want to hurt this guy. You got a chance to stop it, but you know what? Hey, never mind. I'm going to go to work. So um, it just reminded me of Pacquiao, yeah. a point in Pacquiao's career. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. So Lomachenko was in firm control of this fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the 119-108, I get that. You can even make the argument 120-107. What was the one judge looking at when we saw a 117-110, which included a knockdown there in the seventh round? Um, you know, I, I say this over and over, and, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of this because you need to understand that every angle inside that, every angle around the ring is different. I mean, even when you know people are in the stands, right. you see a different fight from every single angle. And I've been working with ESPN, and we're trying to get something done about it. And I just want to show a particular punch just getting landed and then have a view from every angle just so people can see, you know. And one angle might look like something lands, and then when you get really good around to a better a better angle, well, the punch didn't land. And it's really hard sometimes for judges to really see things in real time. Um I'm sitting behind a monitor, so I can look in real at real time, but also I can see the replays, and I can ask for a replay in the back and say, hey, did, and ask my guys in the back, did that land, did that land, did that land? And, and let me give you an example. That punch, the left hand that Lomachenko landed in the first round, it was towards the end of the first round. That punch didn't land. It didn't land. Comey actually blocked that shot. But in real time, in real speed, it looked like it landed. You know, so, but I don't know, you know, I don't know what the judge was looking at. I thought pretty much, just put it this way, I thought that Loma dominated the fight from the opening bell all the way to the end. I thought it was a, just a, a just a straight, you know, flush. He, you know, he cleaned his clock. He did everything he was supposed to do, and he won every single round. So, yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up a good point there, too, because when you have, you know, the three judges and they're, they're, all three at ringside, but they're on different sides of the ring. Let me ask you this. You're at ringside. 
you know, right there. And again, you're not, you know, dead center all the time as well, too. And like you said, you, the action is all over the place. How, how much of the, when you're doing the broadcast, are you calling the action, looking at what is happening in the ring, and how much are you actually looking at the monitor? I, to be honest with you, I only look at the, um, the monitor when I have a replay. Okay. To be honest with you, um, sometimes they tee, they tee up replays uh, for me, maybe seconds before I actually have to call it so I can see it. But uh, there's there's other times where they don't. But uh, I'm actually looking at the action. I'm actually following following everything. I'm listening to, I'm listening to Tess. I'm listening to Andre. Uh, there's a lot going on, man. Yeah. It's a lot to process in real time and still try to convey a message or convey what's going on and what I'm seeing inside the ring. So um, that takes years of practice, man, to be to be able to do what I'm doing now. Um, but, yeah, I look at the monitor occasionally, but not, not really. <laughs> right. Not really at all. Right. So. He is Timothy Bradley, does a fantastic job with ESPN. He was on the call Saturday night at Madison Square Garden for Vasily Lomachenko's dominating performance over Richard Comey. So, and I mentioned, you know, we saw uh, Lomo here uh, in Vegas uh, against Nakatani, and that was coming off of the loss to uh, Teofimo Lopez. I mean, is there any doubt that Lomachenko is back? And is he a different fighter, Tim, since that loss to Lopez? Yes. Yeah, of course. You know, a lot of times people think look at losses like it's a failure. It's not. Losses can be, you know, treated as a lesson. And um, even from the Salido loss uh, that he suffered early in his career when he uh, he just clearly right. wasn't ready for to go 12 rounds against a veteran like that. Uh, and it was, it was a close fight. It was a close fight. In my opinion, it could have went either way. Uh, but Salido roughed him up. And now, what do you see Loma does? Loma does when he gets in the ring and he and he's close to guys. He roughs them up. He he doesn't, you know, play. You know, or some guys will say play fair. No, he looks for every opportunity he can to make you pay, even in the inside now. And so you learn from that. Um, Loma starts a lot faster now. I mean, you remember the Nakatani fight where he didn't stop. I mean, the Lopez fight when he didn't start quick. But in the Nakatani fight, what did he do? He started quickly. He learned from the past. He got better, and he said, you know what? It's not going to happen ever again. I'm going to come out quicker now. I'm going to download the information. I'm not going to take four rounds to figure guys out now. I might take two. I might take one, but that's it. You know, we have talked a lot about the welterweight division. We've even talked about the heavyweight division over the last couple of years as far as, you know, having two or three guys that are, are very legit and can make the claim to being you know, the best, you know, unified champion. But this lightweight division, I mean, we had four lightweight fights in the past 15 days, which is kind of unheard of. We got Devin Haney, who beat Diaz, you know, here in Vegas. We got George uh, Cambosis, who, who upset Teofimo Lopez. And, of course, Ryan Garcia, Gervonta Tank Davis. He fought as well, too. And then we saw Lomachenko on Saturday night for the fight that you called. Yeah. Tell me, when you look at what's happened the last 15 days, what have we learned about this lightweight division? That there's only going to be one one king, one emperor. You know, and these guys need to face one another. And I also learned that each of these guys are, you know, have vulnerability. You know, they, they show they show me vulnerability. You know, where I didn't think at first that, you know, they were weak in certain areas. But now I'm like, hmm, this is a wide-open division. I I still think that Loma, being the older guy, I still think he's the best guy in the division. You know, but he just has to prove it. You know, if he gets a shot at Cambosis, I think he beats him. Uh, Cambosis fought a heck of a fight against Lopez. He did absolutely exceptional. You know, had a great game plan. uh, And he did the impossible, 13-1 to underdog. Um, you know, Haney, he did great against, I thought he did decent against, uh, Diaz. Uh, Diaz was able to land some shots on him that made me ask, 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 you know, made me think back and say, Hmm, I wonder if this guy hit him on the chin, how would he react? He got hit with some straight left hands down the middle and Diaz is what? He's a southpaw. So if he fought Lomachenko, how would that go? Hmm. I, I think Lomachenko can beat him. Um, you know, um, even 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 if you go as far as Javante Davis as well, Javante Davis he struggled with a shorter guy uh, a bit. Yes, he showed his boxing ability; he could knock this guy out. But still, you know, the pressure—you see the pressure that this guy was able to put on him. Can you imagine Lomachenko putting that type of pressure on him? Mm-hmm. But you know, 
especially with all the feints and the, and the footwork and everything that Loma brings in the ring and experience along with that, come on. Now, you, you can't deny that Loma will probably beat a Davis, but I still want to see the fights. You know, and I think I think everybody's clamoring for Lomachenko to fight. You know, all these guys and and to see who the best is in the division. No, we're on the same page uh, with that. We both think the world of, of Lomachenko and think he is the best uh, lightweight. But it is intriguing that we do have some intriguing matchups, which we we haven't uh, seen in the past. And again, you know, we we're dealing with you know promotional you know contracts with different promoters and that sort of thing. What mm-hmm. do you think is the most realistic? Uh, next fight for Lomachenko. Well, I, I think I think Cambosis is the way he should. I mean, I think Cambosis is what he really wants. Ultimately, I think that it's his goal. You know, um, and I think that Loma's earned the right. Honestly, everything that Loma has done in his entire career, I think he's earned the right to fight Cambosis over Haney over anyone. Um, and you know, I think. The question that Bernardo asked him was like, are you willing to go to Australia? Yes, he's willing to do whatever to accomplish his goal. So I wouldn't mind traveling. I got my I got my, my visa ready. I got my passport ready. <laughs> no problem. I'm ready to go to Australia in front of sixty or eighty thousand people. Hey, been you've, been, you've been there before, man. You were there at Pacquiao yeah. Horn. You were there. <laughs> exactly. And it, and the atmosphere is is it's unreal. Uh, I loved it out there in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind going there. But, uh, you know, if anybody's earned the right to fight for all the belts, it's Lomachenko, without question. No doubt about it. All right, uh, Tim Bradley was on the call uh, Saturday night uh, for Vasily Lomachenko. We saw Nico Alley Walsh again. He, he opened the broadcast. Uh, thoughts about Nico as he continues to uh, progress? Well, Well, the thing is, is that, Nico's green. He's a yep. novice. Yep. Um, I, I spoke to him after the fight. And I just told him, I said, hey, um, we, we don't need to, re- to regress. Like, there's a lot of pressure on you. I get it. Um, I understand, you know, you have the name that you have to deal with as well, but you have no you have no room to for air. You have to keep progressing, not regress. And I felt like he fought a guy that was just, I mean, the guy was, was there to fight. Uh, he put up a heck of a fight. Um, you know, he tested the young guy. It was, it was great matchmaking. The guy was undefeated, so he does have some sort of pride. And, you know, but, you know, Ali just seemed like, I was like, man, what happened to your conditioning? <laughs> you weren't conditioned. You got tired after two rounds, you know, and, and that was it. So um, I had a great conversation with him. Um, and I think that he's going to take this, and I think he's going to apply and, and train and understand that, hey, he can't. He has to continue to, to progress and, uh, you know, get better. That's just it. No doubt about it. All right, uh, Nico Ali Walsh, the Las Vegas. Uh, we love talking uh, with Nico. Like I said, a lot to learn, and I know that uh, – you know, you had commented uh, about him uh, not, not trying to bounce so much and that sort of thing as well, too, right? And again, yeah, I, well, I, I, yeah, he showed that though. I mean, honestly, he went back and and he came out and he wasn't bouncing so much. And you know, I just said you, you can bounce around when you need to. I mean, if you want to get away, you can bounce. I mean, that's fine. But the thing is, is that you know, I just try to just give little gems here and there just to help these guys out. Uh, whether they take it or they don't take it, it's fine with me. Um, but you know, when you're bouncing around like that for for 12 rounds, it's, it's it feels like almost impossible. Mm-hmm. You know that, and 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 you can be timed. And so um, he understood, and he, he went back to the drawing board, and he he wasn't bouncing as much. But um, but there were other things now that were glaring at me that he just needs to go back to the drawing board and fix. Yeah. You know, it's not the end of the it's not the end of the world. And uh, he's more than capable of getting better. Yeah. And obviously, you fight differently in four-rounders, which he's fighting right now. And you could probably get away with, with bouncing for, for four rounds. Uh, like you said, you, you can't get a, really probably away with that when you're you know, in championship fights at, at 12 rounds. And again, you can see that he's green. And you know, slowly but surely, the competition will step up for him as well, too, here. And that's the thing. The thing is, you want to always get prepared for the, the competition ahead. Uh, a lot of people, they, they, a lot of fighters, they probably just they think about now, and it's like, no, you have to get yourself ready mentally, physically, 
and emotionally ready for what's later. So a lot of guys, they, they're, they're training four rounds. Uh, they're training for four rounds. They're running two miles. They're running three miles. No, <laughs> the five miles, you need to start building your lungs up now for 12 rounds because that's where you, you're trying to go. Build your lungs up for 12 rounds. You should be running five miles either every day or every other day, five days a week, maybe even six, um, you know, and, and building for the long haul. You're not just sparring four rounds in the gym just you're going four rounds. You're going six rounds. You're going eight rounds at times. You maybe even test yourself at 10 rounds. So you always want to do a little bit more in your training so that way you're preparing your body, you're preparing your mind to know so your mind can know that you can go the distance. You can go 10, 8, 12. It doesn't matter how many rounds it is. You can go those rounds. Right. All right, before we let you go, Tim, uh, there was another guy who was on the card. I think it impressed you as well, too, and that is the real big baby, right, or the new big baby, Jared Anderson, the heavyweight, 11-0, 11 knockouts. And uh, he, he he came out pimping. I didn't know if it was Cam Newton or if it was George Clinton in Parliament Funkadelic. Did you say Cam Newton? Yeah, right, right. But he looked a lot better than Cam Newton. It seems like he's got a be- he's got a better attitude, Cam Newton. But again, he had that George Clinton Parliament Funkadelic swag, didn't he? Yes, he did. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, this is unbelievable." It was great. It was great to see. This is a kid that's just you know very charismatic. Uh, he knows what he wants. Uh, he likes to have fun, uh, and that's a great thing. That's what you want to see. You want to see a guy that that knows who he is. That is comfortable in his own skin, knows how to have fun with the sport that he loves. He's confident inside the ring. He has a ton of skill, uh, as you can see. Uh, he's six four. He's a big guy, two forty. Moves like a middleweight. Punches punches like a heavyweight. I mean, he's ambidextrous. So like, he confused the guy when he came out. Teslinko, bless his heart, so confused when he came out. Southpaw. Um, you know, he landed a couple of hard shots early on, landed a couple of body shots, and then switched back orthodox, and it was all she wrote. But uh, Jared Anderson, I believe, is the next best thing for heavyweight boxing for USA. And I'm saying that, and I'm one of those guys that's bold with my predictions. I see it. I know what, what I see when I watch this man fight. Uh, he's a fantastic, fantastic young fighter. Great reflexes, speed. I mean, he has it all. Honestly, he has it all. And it, it's going to boil down to just him. You know, he's with the best, to me, he's with the best promotional company in the sport of boxing. And I don't say that because, you know, I call top rank fights. I say that because they have built champions. If you look at top ranks resume and what they've done over the years, that the number one promoter in boxing, the last as longest promoter in boxing. So, but anyhow, Jared Anderson, he's one to watch. He's fun to watch. And I think all the people need to tune in and watch this young man fight anytime he's on any car. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think you're spot on, man. This guy could be the next great uh, American uh, you know, you know, heavyweight. There's yeah. no, no doubt about yes. it. Hey, uh, speaking of heavyweights, uh, we know who made an appearance, came in the ring to, to, to sing our, our boy Bob Arum happy birthday, right? Man, that, that Tyson Fury is unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, you know, he flew all the way over the big pond just to sing happy birthday to Bob Arum. You know, that I know that meant a lot. It meant a lot to Bob Arum. Hmm. You know, um, Tyson Fury, he's a great guy. He, he's fun for the sport. Um, you know, I, I love his personality. I love his attitude. I love his antics. Everything about Tyson Fury is fantastic. So how, how are his chops, though, Tim? I, I think his singing was. Uh, I, I think he needs to leave that alone. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Uh, I mean, if, he's, if he enjoys it, that's fine. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's Fury. He doesn't care. And he doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. So, All right. Let's uh, critique him here. Happy birthday to Bob. I don't know, he hit a kind of little high note there. Yes, he did. <laughs> and then he busted well, out. Not bad. not bad. And I think he's, he's not bad. I mean, he's not great. He's not bad. He's like ah, average, you know? Right. I mean, but, 
<laughs> what, what about what about Tim Bradley? I mean, how about Tim Bradley? Uh, you know, singing. I mean, that, that's what we need to hear sometime. You know. Listen, man, I used to I used to sing in the church choir when I was when Woo! I was a kid. That's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. That's what oh I'm... yeah. So, but you know what? Uh, those years are way way behind me now. And, uh, you know, my voice changed, and, and I'm a, it's a little different. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I can't sing a lick. <laughs> I can't hold the tune, baby. <laughs> That's okay. You got some dance moves, man, you know, and, and you could go ahead and uh, you could sport the, the, that, that hat and the, and, the, and the cane and the coattails like uh, like uh, Jared Anderson, too. So, Tim, oh, Tim I don't know. I, don't, I, I just like the hat, honestly. Yeah, I, I like the hat. I don't know if I could do the, the walk. I love the walk. I couldn't do the walk, and I couldn't rock the cane or the outfit. But the hat, I like that. that I, that's that's my cup of tea right there. Hey man, I know it was, it was late night. Did you get a, a good New York City meal in you after the fight last night? Did you, did you break that down? You want to know what it was? Yes, you know I do. You know I do. PB and J. Baby and Jay, come on! You got all kinds of New York uh, City restaurants that are open late. Timmy B, come on, come man! Oh man, come on! No, it was some weird old jingle bell, jingle fest going on, <laughs> fest going on, or something around, and, oh. and, and it was so many people, so much traffic. No, not at all. Okay, man, not at all. All right, we'll, we'll save those. And Jay, baby, I got you. We'll save those good meals for Vegas. How's that? All right, sounds good to me. All right, brother. We'll let you go, man. Hey, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Fantastic job Saturday night, as uh, you do it. all the time, man. Appreciate you, Andre Ward, Joe Tessitore, and and, there, and Bernardo Osuna, all you guys. Fantastic and job. Mark Kriegel. Don't forget my, about my man, Mark Kriegel. Got to <laughs> give Mark some love in there as well, too. You That's got right. that right, bro. You got it. All right, Tim. Thanks, all man. All right, buddy. Thank you. You all got right. it. There he is, Tim Bradley. And Tyson Fury. Singing to Bob Arum, happy birthday. We talked a lot about his birthday turning 90. And uh, Tyson Fury didn't want to give up the mic. When we come back, Matthew Holt will join us. We start talking NFL. Tyson takes to the break. Sing the chorus if you don't know the words. Here we go. This one's for you, Bob. A long, long time ago. I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver with every paper I delivered. Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widow bride Something touched me deep inside The day the music died All together now So bye Happy birthday, Bob Arum, 19 years old! Drop that ghetto blast off! There's more in store around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Busy show today. Tim Bradley joined us. Appreciate him. Sam Gordon. You heard from Derek Carr, Rich Passaccia, Raiders having all kinds of problems. And don't forget, Friday, we'll be at the Cosmopolitan, our Friday home, as uh, we get ready for the best bets coming up this weekend, straight college. And then we start looking at the bowl games as well, too. So check it all out this Friday at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, 2 to 4 p.m. inside the sportsbook powered by William Hill. All right, let's get back to some football talk and talk to our good friend, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. What's going on, brother? TC, how are we doing? We're good, man. Uh, trying to navigate uh, my way so I could have a, a perfect weekend uh, here. And uh, I'm... 
I, I'm involved. Every other better. Exactly sure. right. About half the books I spoke to said this is the worst NFL Sunday they had in the last two or three years. Ten and two, the favorites. We know that the over came uh, cashing in there as well too. We're talking what eight three and one uh, with, with overplays, and we know how that goes, Matt. Right? I mean, public's always going to win when the favorites and the overs cash in. And it was the popular ones yesterday. It wasn't just the favorites. It was all the popular ones. Kansas City smokes them, right? And uh, that's a really popular one. Tennessee gets home. Tampa Bay somehow ends up getting home with the game going to overtime. You know, no one's more popular, you could say, than Tom Brady in the NFL. Green Bay comes back and gets the cover last night, despite giving up 30 points to the Chicago Bears. So, I mean, just favorite after favorite, Dallas Cowboys, all the, the not just favorites in the NFL, but the most popular teams in the NFL who often, who also happen to be favorites this week, got the win, got the cover, got the money for the betters. Yeah, and a couple of them were going down to the wire. We saw the Packers last night, too. I mean, that thing almost got backdoored. Uh, the Niners come back in, in, in win and cover in the OT, as do the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, laying three and a half against Buffalo. I mean, there was some, some crazy stuff that happened, and you know, even that Dallas Washington game, you know, as well, too. I mean, that thing steamrolled up to six and a half points when they, you know, we found out that more Washington defensive players were not going to play, you know, due to COVID. And, uh, and, and the Cowboys ended up uh, getting the cover. Yeah, it was just, I mean, I think most of those games were within a score, could have gone either way in the last two minutes of the game. And then all of a sudden, here we go, bam, just chalk after chalk after chalk. All right, Matt, let's talk about what the Kansas City Chiefs did to the Raiders. I know people, uh, you know, a lot of people were laying the 9.5 or 10. I know there was a little buyback, and some people played the dog. But this thing was over from the from the onset. Uh, Kansas City, this, for the second time this year, they just uh, demoralized the Raiders. But, you know, the big story here is just the Raiders not showing up to play. Uh, the juvenile antics about, you know, going to midfield and jumping up and down on the on the arrowhead there. It's just it's it's ridiculous. And this team is just continues to show how it falls apart in the month of December. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I. Uh, in the past years, we could at least think that we were building towards something. Hey, maybe the team got tired. Hey, they were really young. They're not pl- used to playing meaningful games, you know, in game week 15, 16, and 17. But this looks like a franchise right now that needs a completely new direction, a completely new vision. Um, I don't know what it is anymore. And, and this year there was just more turmoil, turmoil than ever with the coach being fired and, and then, then the Henry Rugg situation, which was really traumatic and left the young lady, you know, dead. It was just everything about the whole situation was terrible. And, um, yeah, I don't know where they go from here. Raiders, Raiders fans, eesh. Mm-hmm. So what situation is is worse, do you think? The Raiders and and the way they have fallen apart, losing five of six here, and again, losing to teams like the Giants and the Bengals and Washington, or what's going on in Jacksonville? I mean, Urban Meyer is 2-11 right now. He's arguing with players. Uh, One of the wide receivers saying, hey, the coaches are a bunch of losers. I mean, then Urban Meyer addresses this thing, and he comes back and he says, you know what, if, if there's a leak, if there's something going on here with one of our coaches, uh, yeah, they will be unemployed. I mean, that thing is a mess. But here we're talking about coast-to-coast and two different franchises that just have not had much success in, in, in recent memory, and it, it's just bad. It's bad. Which one's worse, the Raiders or the Jags? Well, I think if we, in terms of which one could probably be fixed quicker, it's Oakland. I mean, it's Las Vegas. But some of it has to do with expectations, TC. We yeah. thought Jacksonville was going to be bad. We thought they were going to be the, one of the worst teams in the entire NFL. And this college coach thing, and just how often does it ever work? Think back, Nick Saban in the NFL. I mean, Steve Spurrier in the NFL. None of these coaches are ever anywhere near as successful in the NFL as they were in college. So I don't think anyone's surprised that this little project with the Jacksonville Jaguars isn't working. And oh, by the way, they were bad before that. But on the other side, you brought in a coach with the Raiders who had won a Super Bowl. This is a team that had started hot the last couple of years. We thought, okay, Chucky's here. Game time's over. He's going to get this thing turned around. 
and the pieces were in place. There was glimmers, TC. There was hope. And a lot of times I think it's worse to have hope and have that hope completely ripped out of you than to be a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I'm not even sure there is any, but if there are any out there, you probably didn't have any hope anyway. But with the Las Vegas Raiders, you've had it ripped away from you, and now all of a sudden to be mentioned in the same breath as teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars, oh, how the mighty have fallen with the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, no question uh, about that. The situation is is purely a mess. And, you know, I said uh, last hour, Matt, that, you know, this team was – a, a good football team when they're healthy. But, you know, when you have the injuries that they've had on the defensive side of the ball, that's not making excuses because every team has injuries at this point in time. But a team like the Raiders, they cannot overcome having injuries to five or six defensive starters or, you know, arguably your best offensive player like in, Dar- in Darren Waller. You can't recover because this team just doesn't have that talented of a roster and there hasn't been that chemistry here for a while. And it's it's going to take, I hate to say it, but it is going to take a major overhaul now with Gruden out and maybe it's Mike Mayock, and and that's going to be questions that uh, that Mark uh, Davis is going to have to answer when the season's over. But you know, let's not get this thing twisted. It's not like this team is a perennial playoff team and hasn't been. I mean, it's it's been a horrible franchise for twenty years now. I mean, it's it's one of the worst uh, of all time when you look at the last twenty seasons. So and and now. I think you're starting to get a little apathy from the fans here in in Las Vegas as well too. And I think the Derek Carr, you know, quarterback regime is going to come to an end at the end of this year. I think Carr, who kind of played his tail off last year, and again, another non-playoff effort, but at least he showed fans some glimpses, and people thought, well, maybe. I mean, because people were getting ready to tap out on Derek Carr before the start of last season. We all now know that. And he played just well enough for us to say, well, let's give this guy one more shot. But I think at the end of this year, we're talking about a team that's lost five out of six games and scored 16, 14, 13, 15, and 9 in those last five losses. I think at the end of the day, Derek Carr is not going to get that same reprieve that he got at the end of last season, and the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be looking for a new quarterback for 2022. All right, Matt Holt joins us, uh, U.S. Integrity. All right, Matt, uh, let's talk about Tampa Bay and Buffalo. This Buffalo Bills team is another team that's that's reeling. We saw Jonathan Taylor eat him alive on the ground with the Colts a few weeks back, and we saw Tennessee do it, and now Tampa did it. Uh, Fournette ran wild. Brady did his thing. Uh, Buffalo tried to make a gallant comeback, but bottom line is it, Tom Brady was better than Josh Allen. Yeah, the good news for the Buffalo Bills is they do their own, their four remaining games are home versus Carolina Panthers at New England, which is a very difficult game, but then home against the Falcons, home against the Jets. So with that being said, they are going to be significant favorites in three out of four of those games and should get to ten and six and will probably make the playoffs as a wild card. With that being said, at the end of the day, I think the the, the great demise of the Buffalo Bills is being a little bit overblown here. They lost by three at Tennessee, three to Jacksonville, four to New England, five to, to uh, you know Tampa. I mean, six to Tampa Bay in overtime. This team has literally lost every single coin flip game it's been in this year. And some of it, you could say, well, the Bills just aren't you know mature enough or built up enough yet to win close games. But football theorists will tell you that at the end of the day, in six close games, you should at least win two of them at the end of the day. If you're in six games that are coin flips at the end, you should go no worse than two and four. You know, and the fact that they're 0-6 in those games probably means that we're due for a a little return to the norm here. I think Buffalo goes 3-1 and one down the stretch. I think they make the playoffs, and you don't want to face the Buffalo Bills in round one of the NFL playoffs. Yeah. Two teams that are definitely going in opposite directions right now, the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Niners got a thrilling overtime victory. Uh, they continue to win. 
And when you look at their record, a lot of people are surprised. Oh, this team's seven and six. Well, yeah, they started out uh, horrendous. If we remember, they were hit by the injury bug. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, wasn't real good in the beginning. They didn't know if they're going to go with Trey Lance or Garoppolo. And and honestly, they probably w- ended up going with Garoppolo because Lance was uh, Trey Lance was injured early on the season. But Garoppolo has shown you know to be a a good veteran quarterback, and he's getting the job done. And uh, that was a big win for San Francisco to go on the road and win yesterday. And Cincinnati. What a perfect segue, TC. That's why you're a Hall of Fame radio guy. <laughs> I mean, we talk about teams that you don't want to face in the first round of the playoffs, and you lead right into the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, that is perfect. After that two and four start, which included four straight losses, which had everybody writing off the San Francisco 49ers, they're five and two in their last seven games. Four and one in their last five games with the only loss that, you know, two weeks ago at Seattle. This team's playing great football right now. Whipped the Rams, whipped the Jaguars, uh, handled the Minnesota Vikings. That was a big win yesterday, a huge game for both teams, Cincinnati and San Francisco. And the Niners go on the road and get the job done. They're playing with a lot of poise. Jimmy G still doesn't put up numbers that you expect from quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl in the NFL in 2021. But he's not turning the football over as much. They're starting to run the football again. This We talk about scary teams you don't want to face in round one of the playoffs. This is certainly one of them right now in the San Francisco 49ers. All right, let's try this segue here since we're talking about the Niners and the NFC West. Tonight's game, Rams and Cardinals. You're looking at two teams at the top of uh, this division here. It's a little bit of a payback game for the Rams because Arizona took it to them at SoFi Stadium several weeks ago. Matt, uh, we see that the Cardinals are a two-and-a-half-point choice, but Jalen Ramsey not going to play due to COVID. That came down a couple hours ago. Tyler Higby, their tight end, he's not going to play because of COVID. Rams got five guys that are affected by this. What kind of performance are we going to see from the Rams tonight? Because this is a must-win game for them. I'll tell you, I know it's a must-win game for the Rams tonight, TC, but I am on the Arizona Cardinals minus the two-and-a-half. I just think that the the injuries to Higby, to Jalen Ramsey, and just as importantly to their center, Brian Allen, are being dismissed here. At the end of the day, this is a Rams offensive line that has not played well for the past five weeks anyway, and now without their starting center, I can't imagine it's going to get any better tonight for him. And Tyler Higby's important to this offense is really underrated. He is an amazing red zone target. Uh, I mean, when they were playing their best football, Tyler Higby was a critical piece of this offense, and then Jalen Ramsey... Ramsey's history of being able to cover DeAndre Hopkins and just shut him down historically. A lot of factors going against the Rams tonight. How do you not lay the two and a half with the Cardinals? Basically at two and a half, it says these two teams are equal tonight, but how can that be the case? How can a Rams team without Jalen Ramsey, without Tyler Higby, without their starting center, Brian Allen, be actually dead equal to the Arizona Cardinals right now? Hmm, that doesn't feel right. I laid the two and a half with Arizona. So, Matt, since, the, the like you said, with Higby and Ramsey, those are two key parts, uh, one on defense and one on offense, as, as we know. Uh, how come this line hasn't moved or hasn't moved? Well, it has, actually. I'm yeah. looking at most sports books here, regulated sports books across the country, and I am seeing very, very few two-and-a-halves left out there at this point. It is almost all threes. Now, some of them are minus three, minus 105, minus three even, so they're soft threes is what we call those. Right. But there is almost no two-and-a-halves right now. I think the market and the betters have responded and it's pretty much been one-sided on the Arizona Cardinals. All right, there is uh, Matthew Holt, uh, U.S. Integrity. All right, before we leave the NFL, Matt, uh, what else uh, impressed you or caught your eye yesterday? I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs defense just continues to be so amazing. And I know, look, at the end of the day, we already talked about that game, so, you know, it's probably one to, to... you know, kind of let go for now about what was really impressive. But how about the Cleveland Browns coming back in a must-win situation? If they don't get that win yesterday, it's over. And Baltimore is going to win that division, especially with Cincinnati 
uh, you know, going on and losing to San Francisco, but Cleveland steps up again at Baker. We talk about San Francisco and Jimmy G not having the best numbers. Baker Garoppolo is basically the AFC's version of Jimmy Garoppolo. He's never going to put up eye-popping numbers. He's never going to blow you away with the stats. But as long as he doesn't turn the football over and they're able to get that running game going and play good defense, they always have a shot. They proved it again yesterday in a massive 24-22 win that they had to have, and they got it, and now the NFC North is going to be the most fun division in football to watch over the last four weeks. All right, Matt. Uh, you are a UFC guy. Uh, let's talk about what took place. Amanda Nunez upset by Juliana Pena, and she was a plus 650 underdog uh, UFC Bantamweight Championship on Saturday night, the second largest underdog to win a women's UFC title fight. Uh, give me some thoughts here and what happened. Unbelievable. And look, I think at the end of the day, what really happened, in my opinion, is that Amanda Nunez got a little bit used to walking in there and steamrolling over opponents. And then all of a sudden, here was an opponent who wasn't going to be steamrolled over. And let's face it, Nunez won the first round. It wasn't like she went in there and suddenly things weren't working. And she went in there, did what she did, landed some big shots. Juliana Pena's face was a mess at the end of round one, all swollen up. But she was able to survive and hang in there. And I think Nunez, who's used to going in there lately and just blasting these ladies out in, in 30 seconds, I'm not quite sure she put the cardio training into this. And let's face it, she has a new baby with her wife at home. And who knows how, you know, that changes your life dramatically. And she just didn't seem to have any cardio. And she came out against a tough, gritty opponent in Juliana Pena uh, in round two and didn't seem to have anything left in the gas tank. And Pena just took her down and submitted it. Everyone will tell you the worst enemy in combat sports, whether it's boxing or whether it's MMA, is when your cardio goes. And it appeared to me at the end of the round one that Amanda Nunez's cardio was gone. You know, Pena, first time winning two fights in a year since uh, 2015. And again, plus 650, that is a live dog. But, uh, yeah, she seemed in command. And then again, you know, uh, you know, she really wasn't disparaging uh, Amanda Nunez at all. She was just saying, hey, I mean, she's still one of the greatest. But, you know, she, in, she said Amanda Nunez didn't quit. I mean, she just choked her out. I mean, she had to tap out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think Amanda Nunez quit. I just think her cardio failed her. And I've seen it in a lot of times in MMA where someone's winning a fight and their cardio fails them, and that's it. You just, you know, you, there's nothing you can do at that point. You don't have the energy then to keep an opponent off you. At least in boxing, what you can do is tie up a little bit, right? We see these guys get gassed. They tie up a little bit. They hold on for a couple rounds so they can get a second win. In MMA, the problem is if you get taken down and you don't, and you, you don't have any energy at that moment, then you get what happens this weekend. You get choked out. All right. And on the men's side in the main event, I mean, Dustin Poirier, uh, he was submitted to Charles uh, Oliveira, and uh, this this was something uh, a little bit maybe of a surprise, too. Give me your take on that, Matt. Yeah, I really liked Oliveira in this fight. It was one of my favorite MMA selections in a long time. I mean, this guy is so good. He is so underrated at this point. I think that was win number 10 in a row. And, and we're talking about a guy who finished Michael Chandler, finished Tony Ferguson, finished Kevin Lee. I mean, all this guy does is finish opponent after opponent. And, and UFC is a little bit the opposite of boxing. Usually in boxing, guys hit their uh, prime a little bit earlier, and they, they fight a lot of tomato cans, build their record up, hit their prime, then get older and tend to fade quick at the end. Charles Oliveira started fighting in the UFC, I think, before he's even 20 years old. So his early career as basically a kid fighting men had some really mixed results. But what we saw is a guy who got better and better and better, and now he feels like he's been doing it for 25 years, but he's only 32 years old, and he's finally put all the pieces together it takes to be a complete mixed martial artist. The boxing, the kickboxing, the takedowns, the jiu-jitsu, and now all of a sudden this is the most dangerous guy at 150 pa 155 pounds. I saw Conor McGregor calling for the fight with Oliveira after 
I can tell you this, Conor McGregor doesn't want any part of Charles Oliveira. thing about it is with Poirier, too, I mean, he had a three-fight win streak, and one of those, of course, was, was beating you know Conor McGregor. But talk a little bit about the opening round. Beating Conor? What's that? Two of them were beating Yeah, Conor. two of them, exactly, right, right. But talk about the opening round of this fight on Saturday night. It was one of the, the wildest, entertaining, and craziest first rounds where you actually saw Poirier was able to drop Oliveira twice. And look, this happened in the Michael Chandler fight as well, right. where Charles Oliveira was dropped by Chandler early. The one thing we have seen with Charles Oliveira as a weakness is that he's fought, he's a career jiu-jitsu guy who's gotten a lot better at striking. But it doesn't mean he's a striker yet. And what do we know about strikers? They're most dangerous early, full energy, full power. And now three fights in a row, he's come out there with really powerful strikers and got hurt in the first round and had to survive in spots where you go, oh, my goodness, it's gonna, he's going to get finished. This fight's going to be over. But once he survives those spots, he has come on and got the finish himself within two rounds in each and every one of those occasions. Uh, just crazy. You know, we haven't heard much from Conor uh, McGregor lately, but he uh, sure spouted off and, uh, and slamming Poirier after the fight, too, saying, uh, you lanky string of... Uh, you know, um, you know, we can't say the word from there, but uh, I think uh, our audience can tell, uh, you know, what he said and the name that he called that starts with a P word, you know, to uh, um, to uh, Poye. Yeah, I think he's just jockeying for, uh, you know, another sure. fight here, another title fight. At the end of the day, I just I don't think he's ever going to get one, though, TC. I think what the UFC is going to have to do is they have to at least put one more win for Conor before he can get another title shot. I think it feels pretty clear at this point that we're going to see Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje sometime in the late spring. All right, and real quick, what does this mean for Poirier next? I don't know where Poirier goes from here. Really good question. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt Holt, there he is, U.S. Integrity, and uh, we'll keep an eye on tonight's game between Arizona and the Rams as well. Matt is uh, taking the home favorite there, and we'll see if uh, the Rams are truly a paper champion or if they can answer the bell here, and uh, we'll see what Matt Stafford can do against that defense. Uh, any thoughts, Matt, under over on this game? I think it's going to be a little bit lesser scoring, I would say. Cardinals and under. All right, there it is. All right, brother, be good. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Thanks, TC. Best of luck. Take care. All right. There he is, Matt Holt. And, of course, he's up on the best bets uh, with our crew as well, too, at tcmartinshow.com. You can check all of that out. And our special uh, guest last week, Jay Schrader, who was up there calling the handicapping queen. Uh, John Sassente both uh, went 3-1 uh, and one, um, and calling the handicapping queen. I'll give her some props. 3-0 and oh in the NFL. She called it. There you go. All right, Titans, Seahawks, her Seahawks, and, and the Packers uh, got the job done. But if you like favorites, uh, you got you got the job done over the weekend, especially on Sundays. The favorites went eight and two. All right, that's going to do it for today. We're back at it again tomorrow. Steve Berline will join us. He's got some thoughts about the Raiders, being of course the Ra- uh, former Raiders quarterback. Uh, fantastic job with CBS, Steve Berline. He will join us tomorrow. And plus, you know what else it is? It's a terrible Tuesday. Coming your way, we get to vent our frustrations out as well, too. Have yourself a good one. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy the football game tonight. Rams and Cardinals, a good one in the NFC West. For Numchuck, TC saying so long. And if you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com, and check out our thoughts on the Raiders, on the blog, on the article, on the homepage. It's up there at tcmartinshow.com. Talk to you tomorrow at 2.00.